0: Good evening, everybody. It's good to see you all tonight. You know, when, um, when I think of preaching here on Good Friday, it does stir up some memories that some of you know about. It is, a, it is, I've got a little bit of an echo here. Turn me down just a little bit. Yes. Really? Power off, How's that? Even better. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. It's about 20. Whoa. Okay. We turn that down just a little bit, please. It's about 25, 26 years ago, I guess it was, when um, I was going to preach on John chapter 19 here in New Life. We were in the ministry center on the wooden stage and right about 15 minutes into my sermon, I started to feel something strange going on inside of me. It was something like this. This sermon is not working. The, there are people out there that I really care. This is before I was pastoring churches, and I really wanted them to feel like Bob's going to be a good preacher. So I start to get nervous. And I, all of a sudden, I just felt all the blood just drain out of my head. I fell forward, chipped my tooth on the microphone, and then fell straight back and fell asleep for about five or six minutes. I woke up in the middle of my own sermon. And I looked up. And, and there was John, Pastor John, looking down at me. And I said, I said, John, did I preach? John gets up to the microphone and he says, Bob wants you to know that preaching is very hard work. (laughs) But the thing is that I remember that day specifically praying for power. I got weakness. But there were a couple of things that happened that night that demonstrated that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. I got a card a few days later uh, from one of the women here. She said, I hope you feel better. When you (laughs) fell, I thought you died. (laughs) So I'm sitting there looking at your dead body on the stage. And I began to do business with God on some things that I had been putting aside and putting on the back burner for so long. God used you in a strange way. (laughs) And uh, I remember also that John told me that there were a couple of women who walked into the room who had had a superficial reconciliation and they were hugging by the end of the evening. The whole thing turned into a prayer meeting and God uses our weakness because God gets all the glory all the time. Amen. But what I want to talk about today is that Jesus can relate to you in some very specific ways in his suffering. You'll turn with me to John chapter 19. Uh, If you have a Bible, and in this light, probably your telephone Bible will work better. John chapter 19. The context is this. Jesus said 10 chapters earlier that. There are two people who try to enter the sheep pen where his disciples are. There's the thief who comes to kill, but there's the good shepherd who dies for the sheep. And he says, nobody takes my life from me. Jesus said, I lay my life down for the sheep. So here he is. He is going through with everything. He, is, he has been betrayed. He has been mocked. He has been abused. He has been bullied. And he has been tortured. And he's been whipped. And now he is on the cross. And this is what, this is what the Bible says. Verse 28 of John 19. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the Scripture... I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put it on a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Let's pray together. O oh Lord, our God, we thank you so much for the word. We thank you that you have given us what we need to know about you, what we need to understand about the way you are, and about how we can have a relationship with you. You've given us everything we need in the Word of God, and we thank you so much for it. We pray that you please open up our hearts to understand what you have to say to us in the Word of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to know that there is no hurt in this life that you can experience that Jesus himself cannot relate to. I want to talk about why does he say, I thirst from the cross. I mean, everything Jesus Christ says is deep. And this is no exception when he says, I thirst. The book of Hebrews says that Jesus had to be made just like us. In order that we might, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, he had to be made like us. He had to have a body like ours. He he had to he had to be fully human in order for that to be. So he knows that now. Look at verse twenty-eight. He says, "It is time." It is. He knows that all things are accomplished. He knows it is now time to close this chapter in the story of God's salvation of his people, to, to lead up right up to that time when he would willingly give up his spirit, when he would, when he would commit his, his life into the hands of the Father. Jesus is about to fulfill hundreds of years of prophecy. Just in case you had any doubts about him being the Messiah, about him being the Lamb of God who takes away your sins, Jesus spoke these two words to fulfill prophecy, because it says in Psalm 69, for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. And it's just one more way to see that this plan that that the Father has established to save you has been in the works for a long, long time. So what is the point of these two words, I thirst? Why does Jesus say that? Well, first of all, he really is thirsty for water. You can imagine the blood loss. You can imagine the dehydration of being there. And, and, and you know, when, whenever you give blood, uh, they always give you something to drink to try to compensate for your lack of liquids because you get a little dehydrated whenever you give blood. Well, Jesus is obviously very dehydrated and very much in need of something, uh, of something to drink. So he is, in fact, thirsty. And, and, and that is just, an, it's just part of his being fully human. Ever since the virgin conceived, Jesus Christ has been fully human. He felt everything. He felt the abuse. He felt the shame. He felt the bullying. He felt the betrayal. And he felt the physical torture. And, and his body works the same way yours does. So what he felt is not so far removed from what we would feel if we were in that situation. And he's thirsty. Now, there are a couple of things here. One thing is that you come home from school and you've been bullied. You have a friend in Jesus who understands what that's like. That used to happen to me almost every day, certain years in school. I would come home, and I had no idea. I never knew that I had a Savior who had been bullied. I never thought of that. That would have been so encouraging to me, to know that Jesus feels this, and he knows what it's like. This means that when you have chronic pain that just seems unbearable, Jesus knows what that's like. You have a friend in your Savior, Jesus, who's been there. There's another thing about his thirst. Do you remember John just preached on Lazarus? you remember how Jesus wept at Lazarus' funeral, even though Jesus knew that Lazarus wasn't going to stay dead? What is that? What is that? Jesus is fully in the moment. Jesus is feeling the thirst. He is feeling That deep sense of of pain. He is fully in the moment. He knew what would happen later. He did not say to himself, look, I can take anything for six hours, but in three days I will have a glorified body. He did not say that to himself. He didn't try to medicate the pain of the present with with his knowledge of the future. Jesus did nothing to medicate his suffering. In fact, when they offered him wine before he was crucified, he tasted it and then he refused to drink it because he knew that that would dull his suffering. He was fully present in the moment. And he was ready to embrace the full extent of the suffering. Sometimes the present situation is so bad you just want to check out. Anything just to get your mind off of it. But Jesus was fully present. He stayed in the moment. He stayed in his pain. He stayed on the cross. He stayed in his calling. He stayed in God's will. And he's going to stay with you no matter what you go through. But there's another reason why Jesus said, I thirst. It's not simply that he was physically thirsty, though he really was. There's another reason. Something deeper. Do you remember those seven last words of the cross? Some of you know what they are. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He said to the thief, "Uh, Today you will be with me in paradise. Um, He says to uh, to John, Behold your mother. He says to his mother, Behold your son. And, And of these seven statements that Jesus makes... Only two of them are complaints. He had so much to complain about. He could have talked about his back. He could have talked about his hands and his feet. He could have talked about the fact that he couldn't breathe very well. He could have talked about a lot of things, but he only makes two complaints. The first one being, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the second, I thirst. And I believe those two. Are related, Because it was after that time on the cross, when the Lord Jesus Christ was bearing my sins and your sins, that the Father turned his face away. And Jesus, for that time, after experiencing nothing but perfect fellowship with his Father for eternity, and living as a man in faith, uh, ha- having faith in the Father through the Spirit, and having fellowship with the Father, unbroken fellowship, encouraging, life-giving, all-satisfying fellowship with the Father for all eternity in this one moment of time. He does not get to experience that fellowship. The connection is lost. And he says, why have you forsaken me? Quoting, again, the Psalms, that the Scripture may be fulfilled. The presence of God is withdrawn. Those of you who have grown up in traditions where the Apostles' Creed is, is said, you might wonder why did they put in that statement that after he was um, he was delivered, uh, he was um, uh, he was betrayed and and um, goodness, I have to start at the beginning to get to it. But the part is he descended into hell, and you say why did he say that? Why do they say that? And I believe this is why. It was the withdrawal of the one thing that could satisfy Jesus' soul, the one thing that Jesus longed for, the one thing that Jesus lived for, was the face, the countenance, the acceptance and the love of the Father. And that connection was lost. And Jesus said, after experiencing that loss, he says, I thirst. You look through John, and uh, there are other places where John talks about thirst, the book of John. Uh, Chapter 4, where Jesus um, uh, is, is traveling, and he's tired, and he's hungry, and he's thirsty, and he sees a stranger who happens to be a Samaritan woman whom Jews do not associate with. But he just goes right up to her, and he says, would you give me something to drink? And she says, if you knew who I was, you wouldn't be asking me for a drink. And Jesus says, if you knew who I was, you would be asking me. And I would be giving you living water. And you will never thirst. And then Jesus attended the big festival. The big festival where all the Jews from all miles around would gather. And on the very last day, he stood up and he cried out with a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of the Holy Spirit, whom he was going to give after he was glorified. I believe that John, the Apostle John, wanted these two words in the Scriptures to tell us that Jesus is thirsty for God, just like it says in Psalm 42, that song that we used to sing back in the 80s, as the deer pants for streams of water, soul, my soul thirsts after God. Psalm sixty-three. Oh God, uh, my God, uh, um, uh, I thirst for you. Um, I seek your face. Uh, you know, I, as in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. I've seen you before in the sanctuary, and I've seen your power and your glory. And when when I'm with you, my soul is satisfied as with the richest of fare. So Jesus is not only the God that we thirst for, he is also, in this place, the man thirsting after God. And so now let's bring this home quickly. Every human being alive, you are thirsty people, and I am a thirsty man. We are deeply thirsty, and we're fundamentally thirsty for God. Nothing in this world will ever satisfy that deep, inconsolable longing that is, that is the most fundamental in your heart. Nothing in this world will satisfy. And, and we're constantly being lied to. We're constantly being told that if we just had a fatter paycheck, we would be happy. We're constantly being told if your marriage were sweeter, you would be perfectly satisfied, and you would be happy. You're constantly told that if you if you if you went to a cooler church, you would be happy. You're constantly told that if you got more uh, interesting relationships or more traveling or more experiences into your life, you would be happy. And that inconsolable longing persists. We are thirsty, thirsty people, and sometimes our thirst will lead us into dark places, places where we find out that. While I am engaging in this particular activity, it doesn't have to necessarily be a sinful activity. Sometimes it is, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. We say, well, if this little bit feels pretty good, and it dulls the pain of living in a hard world, just think how much a lot of it would feel. And then we make that jump, and then we begin to become engaged in this thing that the Bible calls idolatry. And idolatry is when we come to anything else in this world, whether it's good or whether it's sinful, seeking to satisfy the most fundamental longing that only God can satisfy. That's what idolatry is. It's the stuff that we can get to that we think is going to satisfy us. And the tenth commandment, you shall not covet. That's the first commandment. No, have no other gods before me. The tenth commandment, What is that but seeking to get to to the stuff that you don't have access to, that somebody else does have, because you think that if you had it, you would be satisfied. Jeremiah put it this way. My people, says God, have committed two sins. One, they have forsaken the spring of living water, who, who is God. And secondly, they've built for themselves these pots that don't hold water they are failures at it. And we constantly are because we don't realize that only God can satisfy our deepest longings. And so Jesus, without the pleasure of his Father for this period of time, thirsts. And he understands that gnawing, that, that, that persistent longing that's in your heart that says, I have got to get this thing satisfied. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says that even the most wonderful experiences in your life, you know, the best marriage, the best vacation, will still leave you with this funny feeling that there's still something not quite great about that. There's, There's still something that's not completely satisfactory about this. He says, because we're made for another world and we're made for a world where we will be walking with God. We're made for a world where we will have the fellowship of the Father. Where we will be with Jesus Christ face to face. And that is the thing that you want more than you want anything else, whether you know it or not. You see, you're either in touch with your thirst or you're medicating. And Jesus refused to medicate. Jesus stayed thirsty. Now, when he received the drink, it served one more purpose, and it was this. He didn't get enough of this sour stuff that they had to quench his thirst. No, he got just enough to bring some moisture back to his parched lips so that when the time was right, when everything was accomplished, when the sins of the world had been dealt with once and for all, he finally was able to, with a loud cry, it says in the other Gospels, with a loud cry, he said, it is finished. And that's what that sour wine enabled him to do. Because it is finished. You see, the one that one longing that you have is going to be fully satisfied because it is finished. Why? Because your sins are finished are gone because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has just done. He has taken all of your sins. And they were laid on him and they were judged. Once and for all. And now God is for you, believer. And now your soul can be satisfied with the richest affair. Because now in this world, you can begin to enjoy God. Spend the rest of your life asking this question, what does it mean for me to find satisfaction in God alone? And then look forward to eternity when that satisfaction is going to be yours forever. And it's going to be really good. Amen. Amen.